Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. We are back. So is she. Dr. Wendy Patrick's in the house, columnist for Psychology Today, political commentator, and a career trial attorney. She's completed over 160 trials, ranging from hate crimes to domestic violence to first-degree murder. Uh, she has written Trump Psychology, Why the Donald Might Just Get Your Vote. More than a pleasure to have Dr. Wendy Patrick back on the show. Dr. Patrick, how are you? Good afternoon. Good. Thank you so much for having me. Always good to have you uh, with us. Um, why the Donald might just get your vote. There um, is psychology behind this. You start your, your first question out of the box in this article is, are you planning to vote for Donald Trump? And you talk about as hard as it might be um, and, you know, to, to answer that. Um, but but you, you talk about different things, the waiting game, waiting for him to implode or explode. Some people already <laughs> believe that, that he has. Um, and you talk about whether or not he is worthy of, you know, one's vote. Um, one of the things you talk about are the Trump psychology, is Trump psychology. Um, so first of all, why did you decide to write about Trump psychology and how does Trump psychology differ than Dr. Patrick or Leslie psychology? <laughs> <laughs> the reason, uh, Leslie, I chose to write about it is this has been really a phenomenon that we have not seen before. And people are really confused about how someone that really engenders a large amount of negative public sentiment has not only gone out of his way to insult, I mean, in every sense of the word, and this is something he would admit doing, counterpunching, if you will, uh, all of his opponents going from 17 candidates to being the last man standing. How did he do that? And what is it about his countenance, what he says, what he does, that has persuaded so many voters to vote for him? That is something that's been so counterintuitive that it piqued my interest to the point where, really, with a, a combination of research and anecdotal evidence from polling, um, I thought it was worthy to begin the discussion. And I really shouldn't say begin the discussion. Jump into the fray, if you will, because everybody's talking about this. <laughs> No question. Uh, before we take calls, let's continue with this, um, you know, a, a little bit. Um, but is there a Trump psychology, and do you think Trump is knowingly or perhaps unknowingly using psychology to appeal to his base? Because there are a lot of people still scratching their head out there as to what is the appeal. So is he tapping into someone's subconscious without even realizing it? Absolutely. You know, it's all part of the art of the deal, to coin the title of his last book. He is successful in business for many of the same reasons he's so far been successful in politics. He is 
really attempts to be transparent and to the point. He uh, has effective use of sound bites, which often become headlines, as we all know. But he taps into, and everybody's been, you know, really recognizing this, what a lot of people have been thinking but worried about whether it's politically correct. And in the year of the outsider, as we're now seeing, um, what he says, what he does, it's offensive to many people, but the bluntness, some think, and I mean, we could all do without the profanity, Leslie, don't get me wrong, but the bluntness of ideas that he's expressed on a wide variety of topics appeal to many people that feel the same way that he does. They also get this element of what you see is what you get. Authenticity builds credibility, which translates into electability. In fact, that's one of the things that Hillary Clinton is struggling with right now is really building back up her credibility that you can believe what she says. Um, And by the way, it's also why you see some of Trump's detractors impeaching him on what he said years ago, because he really is running on this authenticity, transparency, credibility, which is all part of Trump's psychology. That's people are voting for him. Um, okay, let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Reggie's in Georgia online too, listening on Progressive Voices. Reggie, question or comment for Dr. Patrick? Yes, I have a question for Dr. Wendy Patrick, and happy Tuesday to you and her, by the way, Leslie. Um, why are these people still taking Trump seriously? Are they just Trumpets? And I don't mean the musical instruments either. That's number one. And two, why doesn't he have advisors that will stop him when he's, he's about to say something stupid. And put him and keep him in check. And put him in check and keep him in check. To keep him from saying stupid, idiotic, moronic, ignorant things. You know? Or Let me, uh, well, Okay, Reggie, I think Dr. Patrick answered some of that already, but uh, Dr. Patrick, uh, please feel free to, uh, you know, expound on that. Reggie, you asked two really good questions. Let me take the last one first. Why doesn't he have advisors that serve as sort of a safety net so he doesn't say every single thing he thinks? And, Reggie, that's especially important because he tends to double down on everything that slips out of his mouth. So you want to avoid that on the front end, don't you? One of the things he's been fairly consistent on is that he does intend to have a team of advisors. Now, he does have a team of advisors now as well. But they can't stand next to him on the debate stage or at a town hall and constantly speak into his ear, this is a man that's used to saying what he wants to say, what he's going to have to do, and he's admitted this as well, is he's really going to have to surround himself with a very wise team that is going to be able to do exactly that. And I think now we're also segueing into your first question, is does anybody take him seriously? He's promised to be more presidential. Sometimes we see that, sometimes we don't. But one of the things we can be assured of, if, if you know, we believe what he says, his intention is to make informed decisions and not off-the-cuff decisions like he does in determining how to answer a question when he's in front of the world on a national debate stage. When we're talking about foreign policy, economics, whatever it is, he really does believe in the power of having a, a team to be able to advise him. I mean, nobody can be an expert on Well, let's talk about that when we get back. We can take a quick break. Dr. Wendy Patrick's our guest. Back to you. Back to her right after this.
to Dr. Wendy Patrick. I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. She's a columnist for Psychology Today, political commentator, and a career trial attorney, talking about her column, uh, Trump Psychology, Why the Donald Might Just Get Your Vote. Um, uh, uh, do- Dr. Patrick, so many things here um, with Donald Trump. And, and first of all, let's talk about, before we talk about your most recent book, uh, Red Flags, because there's something that you talk about in your piece and something that's in your book I want to ask you about. But are we, you know, people talk about their voting, their, their vote counting. How in control are we, would you say, on a scale of one to 10 or percentage wise of our vote? In other words, you know, I would imagine that there are people that voted for Barack Obama because they're African-American and they saw an African-American, just like with Hillary, you know, a, a woman sees a woman. Um, you know, how much is our subconscious and what's behind the scenes in our mind controlling when we go into, you know, that place of, of voting, whether it's in a primary or caucus, you know, now um, or in the general election in November, because it's, you know, we all know that we have some puppet master <laughs> to a degree in our head controlling what we do. How much is that, you know, how much is there a subconscious choice versus a conscious choice when we're selecting a candidate, whether it be Donald Trump or otherwise? It's a great question, Leslie. And, you know, I, a lot of it is subconscious. And one of the ways we know that is they've been doing studies for years based on electability, the correlation between electability and likability. And, you know, you think, well, gosh, that's common sense. But it is, in a sense, um, really telling when you look at the fact that many candidates are very likable and sometimes poll higher than many other candidates that are far more credible in terms of policy knowledge, experience, but yet they're not likable and they don't connect with voters. Um, in fact, we don't even really need to look at election psychology to answer that. We can just look at general psychology. I mean, I've heard you talk about some of these issues on Fox News as to, you know, why people are more popular than others politically uh, and in other kinds of elected office. And just as a practical matter, why should we want to vote for somebody that we don't like. I know people say, oh, we're going to hold our nose and vote the party line. But if you look back to, you know, the great Nixon-Kennedy debate, right, everybody loves to cite that as an example of the power of the visual. But it was more than that if you look at many of the studies. Subconsciously, we tend to, to vote for people we like because we tend to connect with those people more often. That's also why you see candidates like Hillary Clinton attempting to humanize herself to connect more with the voters. Okay, but something else that you talk about um, in your book, um, Red Flags, are that our subconscious, in a sense, might be delivering messages that we can separate the dangerous from the desirable. I think a lot right. of the rhetoric of Trump and decisions he would make as a president would be dangerous. Um, how, yeah. com- how come his supporters aren't getting that red flag, danger, danger, be, be warned, or are they, and are they attracted to that danger, or are they just ignoring it? I think it's somewhere in the middle. You raise very good questions because I do talk in the book about dangerous being desirable. But when it comes to voters, not so much. Voters are more concerned about electing a president that's going to really make decisions that benefit them in the ways they care the most about themselves, the economy, jobs, their kids, health care. When they look at someone like Donald Trump, they, they see that his policies line up with theirs, but they worry about the unpredictability factor. So with Trump, again, it's a phenomenon, which is what really has so much of us talking about it. They want to believe that he's going to, you know, be the Republican that he says he is, but that's what the other side is attacking, that he does look dangerous. He's desirable on paper, if you look at what he says he's going to do and what his beliefs are, but he's dangerous when you listen to him and watch the way that sometimes um, he, he handles some questions from reporters that he doesn't like. So really, we talked earlier about the team of advisors. 
what the GOP electorate is looking at is he may sound and look dangerous sometimes with some of his policy positions, but can he make him desirable by making him safe as a candidate, perhaps just by having a good team, by having a good um, cabinet, which is why we're talking so much, Leslie, about his VP choice. That may make an enormous difference in his electability. Okay, let's take some more calls, and let's go to Albuquerque, Line 3. Joe joins us, listening on the radio on KABQ, 1350 AM. Hey, Joe, good afternoon. Question or comment for Dr. Patrick? Yeah, comment. Um, good afternoon, Leslie. It's been a while since I called. but Well, good to hear from I you. I couldn't help calling. Um, in my opinion, Donald Trump basically appeals to the most uninformed, uneducated, ignorant, racist Americans that can't understand anything, any concept, unless it's packaged in a bumper sticker. He's quite good at it. And, and the reason he's, he's, he's got away with this so long is that the media has basically just reported on him as opposed to reported on what he's saying. And right now I, I, there, I see a glimmer of hope that he is finally, finally, just a little bit being vetted by the media in terms of the ridiculous things that he's saying. Do you agree? Dr. Patrick? Yeah, I think uh, that what you bring up is really what um, a lot of the general public is bringing up, and that is the reason for his high negative. It's exactly what you point out, that he has made some statements that have been very controversial. He's attempted to dial back some of them. Some of them he's doubled down on and said they were taken out of context. But it's those bumper sticker types of slogans and statements that are now coming back to haunt them. In fact, you may have noticed that within the last couple of days, they have been the fodder for several different TV advertisements that have just really gone through a number of the sound bites all strung together for the exact reason that you mentioned. They're very unfortunate, I'll use that term, uh, very unfortunate statements that he's going to have to deal with as we move into a general election. I don't know. I mean, Hillary Clinton has said many statements that have been unpopular, but it's of a really a different caliber um, on the offensiveness scale is what some of his detractors have cited. And to that point, thank you for your call, Joe. I hope to hear from you again there in Albuquerque. Uh, Dr. Patrick, to your point, okay, um, what you see is what you get, right? That's what uh, the people who like Donald Trump say. Can it be that they're attracted to a man saying what they're thinking? We call it the ugly side of America. Um, but perhaps there is that ugly side, that ugly side that might think Mexicans are rapists and murderers, the ugly side that might think we need to stop Muslims from coming here, uh, the ugly side that might think it's okay to be sexist and say such demeaning things and treat women in such a demeaning manner. I think the, it's somewhere shy of some of the terms that are used. In other words, Donald Trump says he's not racist. He has some ideas that people agree with, and the people that agree with him wouldn't say that they're racist either. He has made some unfortunate statements about women, but he says he's been very respectful to women. He hires a lot of women, et cetera. The women in, the, in his life uh, seems to really love him, including his kids. So he would not label himself as sexist. But what you said first, Leslie, I couldn't agree with more. People believe that he is very honest about some of the policies that they agree with. He, the manner in which he expresses it is unfortunate. That's probably what his supporters would say. In other words, the ideas are good, but the way they're expressed are sometimes offensive. And I, but Donald Trump would probably even wish that he probably could have phrased things a little better, and I wouldn't be surprised going forward 
that many people connect with and that they agree with. Um, okay. When when we look at uh, you know somebody who is being different. I mean, I think some people like the fact he's not being presidential, obviously. I mean, you know, despite, um, you know, I think on an international level, the way the world should see our leader, that they should be, you know, presidential. But, you know, my opinions aside, um, this is somebody who also, you talk about, never misses a chance to engage in a war of words. It's interesting because Congress has the lowest approval rating in its history. And one of the things that Americans don't like, regardless of their political ideology, is the infighting. Why is the fighting attractive in Donald Trump, but the fighting among others in and outside of their own party and even elected officials already so unattractive? Why is it so different for this guy? And let me tag on to that. Is it his celebrity a personality, that cult of uh, celebrity and personality. And I say that, and I hate using this example again and again. I know people are sick of me saying it, but I live in a state where Arnold Schwarzenegger became my governor with absolutely uh-huh. zero experience, but people really just loved the Terminator uh, from his films. And I think that's who they were voting for. They were voting for the character, not the man. And I think that's what the appeal is uh, with Trump for a lot of people is the character that he has put forth. I live in your same state, Leslie, and for the older crowd, it would be Conan the Barbarian, right? That's who they yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before he was the Terminator. <laughs> okay, so a couple of good questions in there. Let me, let me break it down. I, I do think there is lots to be said for the celebrity effect. In fact, it's been empirically proven that, uh, you know, people are drawn to celebrity. We're fascinated by the lives of the, not just the rich and famous, but also the controversial. And that, I think is where the type of war of words that Donald Trump engages in is different than simply having a congressional hearing that goes on until midnight. Everything he says is in a fashion that is a little bit off in terms of political correctness. It gets people talking, people have an opinion, and it kind of goes back to the excellent point you made a minute ago about does he say what the rest of us are thinking. So the fact that his war of words, is in a little bit more of an interesting, let's say, uh, caliber than some of the other just, you know, let's just be, and and as a lawyer, I can make this joke, we're just going to talk about it to death, every side is going to continue to, you know, have their say. His war of words is very pithy, it's succinct, and it's usually straight to the point. So he's made statements like he wants to ban Muslims, he wants to build a wall, it's not a, a, a long... Uh, erudite explanation of all of the, the, the how that he's going to accomplish that. In fact, that's what has people still asking, how in the world is he going to do that? But so I think it's a little bit different when we talk about him engaging in the war of words. And also remember that as he never misses an opportunity to point out, most of his rhetoric is counterpunching when he's been attacked, when somebody, and, and basically personal attacks. We've seen that with many of the candidates that are now no longer in the race. So that's what makes it a little more interesting for the general public than I think some of the other long-winded explanations that some candidates gave about why their policies were different from each other. When you look at Donald Trump, and, you know, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but in your profession, do you think this is somebody that – are you surprised at how well he is doing or no, from a psychological perspective? You know, um, my PhD is actually in theology, although the topic was the psychology of attraction. And the psychology of attraction, as, as you know, many of your listeners who are in the business would know, 
it's almost counterintuitive. It's almost counterintuitive to suggest that someone who has really no political background would be attractive for that reason alone. Obviously, there's other reasons. He does have good business sense. But it's the fact that he's an outsider that ironically makes him attractive as a candidate because of the level of frustration that many voters are feeling as to really the status quo, the economy, some of the other issues that they're dissatisfied. Now, having said all of that, Leslie, am I surprised? Yes. That's really kind of as a human being, given the some of his rhetoric. Uh, nobody would have thought that somebody could survive one of the comments. I mean, look at the, the comment about John McCain. If that's all we had, we would expect most candidates would have been done. Their careers would have been over as a political candidate. Yet not only did he survive that one, but many others. So all of us are surprised. And that's one of the reasons that we're talking as much as we are, trying to figure out what is the explanation. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's interesting you mentioned that, Dr. Patrick, because when he, you know, basically made John McCain, who was a prisoner, you know, was a prisoner of war, served our military for years before, you know, becoming and entering into and being elected into politics and being a long term career politician, um, regardless of what someone feels about John McCain as a person or a politician, um, this is a guy that many people say who are prisoners of war with him was responsible for keeping them alive. This was somebody who was a leader. This is somebody who was strong. He was smart. Um, and he he was uh, kind in helping others that maybe would not have been able to get through, did not have perhaps the um, the stamina that he did in that type of an environment. You know, I think of a liberal had said something uh, against someone like a, a McCain, not even sure if it would have been over for them. But polls show the military, that Trump does well with military members. And that is so amazing because aside from the fact he didn't serve, talking about he feel like feels like he served, which to me is such a, a nasty belittling of the men and women serving. And then, of course, comments he's made about somebody who's very respected in the military, and that's, uh, that's John McCain. Uh, so this is... I, I guess I don't think politically, at least in my lifetime, I haven't seen somebody who who checks all the wrong boxes and still prevails. I mean, I, I honestly feel the more sensational he becomes, the higher his approval ratings go. And that concerns me, not just as a voter, but as a human being. Absolutely. And, you know, what's even more surprising is the fact that John McCain himself is likely going to be supporting Trump. I mean, it's... it's Yes, who was not going to be and is now, yes. And a lot of that, I think we're going to see more of that, because remember the pledge that all these candidates took. Now, we've already heard from several of them saying they're not going to honor that pledge. But ironically, again, at the beginning of that, when they all pledged, people suspected and predicted that it would be Trump who wouldn't honor that pledge. Yet look what happened. He ended up as a nominee, and it's those detractors, some of whom speculated... Trump's not going to abide by that pledge. He's going to run as an independent. He's going to be a spoiler. Some of them are the ones that are now talking about not supporting Trump. So, again, you, you know, the points you bring up are so good. This is one election cycle that defies logic, which is why talking about the psychology of it is at least an attempt to maybe help some of us explain and understand how is this happening. <laughs> Thank you. Dr. Patrick, always a pleasure. We'll have you on the show again. Dr. Wendy Patrick, columnist of Psychology Today, political commentator and career trial attorney. Follow her on Twitter at Wendy Patrick, Ph.D. That's W-E-N-D-Y-P-A-T-R-I-C-K. The website is wendypatrickphd.com. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? 
like boar's head oven gold turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow roasted until it's fork tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's head. Compromise elsewhere. <laughs>